What do you think the best thing is about starting your own business? I think it's about having a bit of control over your life and where you want it to go, I think, uh, rather than working for somebody else and uh, putting money in their pocket. Yeah. I'm a registered nurse, so it's my hours are all over the place, but you know, why work for somebody else when you can work for yourself and be successful, yeah. If you're doing hard work for a company, they're making a profit, why not work for yourself and do the hard work and make profit for yourself? And the more you can scale, the more you can earn kind of thing. I'm getting a common theme here yeah. tonight. For We Teach Me, this is the Master Series, where industry professionals share their secrets to business success. I'm Saifil Shenalmish from Written and Recorded, and this is the first episode of the new season of Master Series. Over the next few weeks, you'll hear from entrepreneurs on how they built and grew their businesses. But right now, the task at hand is how to leave the nine to five. If you're anything like me, you'll have thought about it long and hard before making the leap. It's a big decision with many unknowns. Builder and architect Bill McCorkle made the leap back in 2011 and hasn't looked back. It was such a chaotic time of architecture that I was experiencing that at one stage I was working on the delivery team, so we're doing the construction documentation, and I processed the 15,000th variation on that job, which is extraordinary for any commercial project. But it gave me an insight into the creativity behind architecture, which I really had a passion towards. We'll hear from Bill shortly, but our first brave entrepreneur is Emma Welsh, co-founder of Emma and Tom's Foods. I love her juices, and I'm so glad Emma decided to leave the 9 to 5 back in 2014, if only for my taste buds. In this fireside chat with We Teach Me's Wayne Lewis, Emma reveals, as the CEO, she now spends most of her time problem-solving and working out solutions. And she's got some sage advice if you're planning to take the plunge. You can have the right idea, but with the wrong capital structure, you won't succeed. So uh, the first thing everyone wants to know about me and my business is Tom. Is Tom my husband, my partner? And the answer is no. He's a friend. We met doing swimming lessons when we were 12 years old. And amazingly, we're still friends um, now many, many, many years later. Uh, I would never have imagined that I would have gone into business with him, but strange things happen. So I guess my story is I really am someone who um, decided I wanted to have my own business probably on leaving university. I thought I was clever and I thought oh, well, I'll learn on someone else's time and money and I think it's a good idea to get experience um, in different facets of business, in marketing, commerce, sales. And so I started off um, working for a commodity trading company and I guess I'd always had a great belief in the value of brands and so I, when I was thinking about my CV and when I was busily developing myself as a person I was looking for good brands so I put Cargill, which was a big multinational trading company, and then I worked for a um, Mars Corporation, and then I went to a business school in Europe. So it was all sort of brands, brands, trying to get into um, building my own personal CV and, and my experience, so trying to learn in different areas. Mm -hmm. And what age was that? Oh, so this was straight after university. So I went to, did Ag Science at Melbourne Uni, which is a very general course, and then I did a little bit of strategy consulting. And then I um, got to a point where well, I was working as a strategy consultant in London 
And a friend of mine who had been at business school came and asked me if I wanted to start a business. And this was my first time to go into business. So this thing of leaving the nine to five, I actually was invited out of the nine to five and I accepted the invitation and I went and worked with this friend of mine. So, you know, I, I didn't really take the plunge then. So that business, we built it up, we raised a lot of money, but we ran out of the money very quickly. And we had, I think, the right business idea, but the totally wrong capital structure. So we basically were trying to make it a big business very quickly. And the business, which some of you may be familiar with in Australia called Aconex, was basically the same business we were trying to set up in London. That business is now worth a billion dollars. We sold out of our business for, I think, about £100,000 or something like that. So, uh, it just shows you can have the right idea, but the wrong structure, and uh, you, know, you don't succeed. Anyway, after that experience, which was a fine experience, I'm still friends with the four people that I was in business with in the UK, which I'm very proud of. And the investors we had, we're still friends with them. I still stay in touch with some of them. And I think that's all worked out well because we communicated well all the way through. So obviously moving on from there and talking a little bit more about Emma and Tom's then, you've left the nine to five, you've experienced um, a lot of things to do within the business world. How has that equipped you then and, and kind of what were the first hurdles going into Emma and Tom's that you had to overcome and making that a success? So, I mean, the first one is actually starting and that's, uh, in my view, the, the most difficult thing to do is to start. And the second time I left my job, I was actually booted out of my job, so I was working at the NAB and my whole team was restructured out, so I was sort of out, out on the street. And actually, again, the second time, Tom actually appeared from where he'd been in Europe and he actually, again, asked me if I wanted to start this business and he had the idea of a juice business. So again, it wasn't really me starting and leaving the nine to five. So I think I've never had probably the courage to do it, but I, at the time, um, sort of fell into it. But I mean, starting from scratch, I, I think is really hard, but it's, you know, we went to the market, we um, bought our fruit juices, we made up our different blends and um, tested things out. And then we, it was a matter of working out, well, what do we need next? We need um, bottles and we need caps and we need labels and we need a design of our labels. And each time we'd think about it and we'd think, well, we need to, what do we do? Who do we speak to? And we'd, we'd work it out. And I think that's in business, um, it's a lot about problem solving. And as we go along now, I mean, still, I'm, I feel my, most of my time is problem solving and working solutions to things. And always things are changing. I mean, I think for someone thinking about going into their own business, um, to me, it's good to be very comfortable with change because change is always going to happen and things are never going to go according to plan. And, and I think this thing of, oh, I've got to have the right idea, I've got to have the perfect idea. You know, I mean, our idea was to have a juice business. We've now moved into a healthy drinks and snacks business. My idea was to never be in distribution. We've now got 40 vans on the road. <laughs> so, Talking about that skill set and obviously adapting, you guys have ventured overseas as well. And is that exploring those foreign markets? Is that something that you work on today? Yeah, so, I mean, we have a business model which is very much based on relationships. I mean, maybe it's just the people we are, but we want to do business with people we like and we really choose people that we like. And so we've sort of fallen into our export markets really just because we've happened to meet people we like. And so we've got a guy in the Middle East and we've got a whole team in China. As it's turned out, those businesses are all people who are wanting to set up their own new distribution business, which I think works really well because a new distribution business, they need to have product to sell and they need to go and get customers. Most distributors, in my experience, really don't do anything. But the other thing is that they need to be very well funded. And actually, our guy in the Middle East is just giving me some grief because I think he's not well funded enough. 
when you are choosing those people, how much time do you spend on that and those relationships that you're forming so behind the scenes? Yeah, we get approached by a lot of different people and I think the thing is to, for us to be very clear on what we're trying to do and what's important to us at the moment. For example, the other day we've had this charity water which we've done as a collaboration with Cotton On and we sell it to cafes and we donate basically the profit from that so it's about 25 cents a bottle. Anyway, Cotton On decided that we were all too small for them and they didn't want to do it anymore. So we sort of, well, we actually like this, we've got customers that want to buy this product. So we'll, we'll do our own, but we then needed to find someone who is um, a charity to support. So I came across Street, which is I think is a fantastic organisation. I went and had a chat to Beck, who's the co-founder of that, and she said, oh, yeah, great idea, you know, all very good, just one problem, we really don't want to have any plastic in our, in our shop. So we looked at cartons and other ways of doing it. Anyway, we eventually realised we could do a 100% recycle PET bottle, and she was happy with that because it's saving 82% of the resources that would have been used in a virgin bottle. It's an example of someone we liked, it's a good relationship and it's helping us do what we wanted to do but it's also helping her in what she wants to do and her beliefs. And it comes back to the problem solving as well, doesn't yeah. it? So your husband actually works for the company as well. So everybody asks whether Tom is your husband but you, your husband works with you. How do you manage those relationships internally? Does that have an effect? For me, working with a partner is pretty difficult. It's hard to leave business at home. The biggest thing that I've learnt in terms of trying to make our relationship at work happy, because he's the sales guy and I'm the CEO, and typically that is quite a stressful, fraught relationship. Uh, so the biggest thing I've learnt to do is to moderate my tone of voice, so to be really careful what tone of voice I use when I'm <laughs> speaking to him. And uh, that certainly has helped, but it's definitely not easy. And I find, you know, one of us might want to talk about work and the other one doesn't. And just leaving it at work is, for me, important. And business is stressful, so there's always ups and downs. And, I mean, his skills are really valuable to our business, so we really need to have him in the business. You know, he's been a key driver in the business, so the good thing is we managed to stay together as well. Yeah. Do you have people that have left the nine to five want some flexible working or do you have conversations with maybe current staff members about leaving that working environment if they come to you and ask for advice? Yeah, more we recruit people that want part-time jobs. I mean, I found it quite an effective way to bring in really um, better levels of skill experience than I could otherwise afford. And there's actually quite a lot of people often women looking for part-time work that's actually meaningful and enjoyable. So I'm basically breaking roles into smaller roles and then as the business grows, usually they are quite happy to take on more work. So you know, maybe their child's got a bit older or whatever, their circumstances often change. And going back to the moment of realising that Emma and Tom's was obviously doing well and it was getting some traction and did you still have that startup mindset? Were you quite frugal with the things that you were maybe investing in, the staff that you were taking on and things like that? Or were there any moments where you thought, you know, this is great, we're getting carried away? Or did you maybe keep a, a rein on things when things were going well? I mean, I think that's one of the many mistakes that we've made is, and I do think it's a bit of coming out of big corporate. So Tom and I both had worked for large companies. We were both used to having colleagues. We were both used to having plenty of money to spend. And I think we weren't nearly thrifty enough. I mean, we thought we were being thrifty, but we hired people too quickly. You hear so often you should be working on your business, not in the business. I believe at the start, it's so hard to get money coming in the door, it's so hard to be profitable, that we would have been a lot better off if we hadn't hired some of those people, if we'd done more ourselves. We're still getting better at it, but um, 
it's hard to make that final profit that ends up in your pocket. Yeah. And what's some of the things you do on a daily basis to maybe develop yourself and to keep on learning? I mean, I think reading a lot has been really valuable. The other thing, probably just talking to people. I mean, every person I speak to will give me a little bit of information that helps me make better decisions. So it's very easy to sit at my desk and be busy, but actually making the effort to get out and talk to people is much more important, I think. Yeah, definitely. Can we have a round of applause for Emma, please? Doing business with people you like sounds like one of the great advantages of leaving the nine to five to start your own business. Thanks for that advice, Emma. We'll hear from builder, architect and entrepreneur Bill McCorkle right after this. Masters Series is presented by We Teach Me. Before you leave the nine to five, why not try out a few classes to discover what makes your heart beat? We Teach Me connects you with face-to-face -face classes in your neighbourhood, right across Australia. Explore the possibilities of your mind at weteachme.com. This podcast is produced by Written and Recorded. With a passion for telling great stories, Written and Recorded podcasts give brands a real voice with personality. Find out how to talk to your customers more effectively at writtenandrecorded.com. And now, back to the podcast. Thanks, Ad Guy. Don't give up your nine to five. Well, at least not until you've heard from Bill McCorkle. As a fourth generation builder and second generation architect, Bill didn't think twice about leaving the nine to five and hanging out his shingle. Since jumping into the world of business, he's designed a carbon positive home. And he says it was his brother's encouragement to go into partnership and the challenges that followed that led to the building blocks of his own business, Archiblocks. So I studied architecture at Melbourne University. My old man was an architect. I've always wanted to be an architect. I had heaps of passion towards architecture design and just finding better ways through good details. Finishing up university at Melbourne, I was lucky enough to be employed by a firm in Kuala Lumpur. Coming into this firm, I always had this perception that architects, all we did was design amazing buildings. Unfortunately, this firm I worked with they were extraordinarily efficient in the way they ran a business of architecture. I was lucky, I designed 10, 20, 30, 50 storey towers that were never built. I designed a variety of different assorted houses that were never built. I designed exhibition buildings that were never built. I left as a result of the economic crisis that hit Asia in the late 1990s and came back to Melbourne working on Federation Square. So I've gone from an amazingly efficiently run architectural business into a chaotic, creative studio that was designing Federation Square, part of the Lab Architectural Studios. It was such a chaotic time of architecture that I was experiencing that at one stage I was working on the delivery team, so we're doing the construction documentation, and I processed the 15,000th variation on the job, which is extraordinary for any commercial project. But it gave me an insight into the creativity behind architecture, which I really had a passion towards. A couple of years later, I jumped forward and I was playing cricket in India with my brother, another massive passion of mine. 
India and cricket. Um, and over there, my brother had joined the family building company called McCorkle Constructions. And a night out over there, we decided that the brothers should join together after a successful day on the middle of the pitch, where we probably hit five or ten runs together. We then decided that I should join McCorkle Constructions on my return back to Australia, which I did, left Federation Square, jumped into a commercial building company which had been established for 70 years at the time. An architect and a builder working with an older brother's business that he'd been entrenched within for 10 years. Worked really well for quite a while. As an architect, I had a turbocharged learning experience on how to actually build, how to manage building, how to estimate, how to procure, basically the ins and outs of a building trade. So from an architectural perspective, I was extraordinarily lucky to actually get those learnings and also work in a very well-established business as a director and having lots of learnings along the way of how to actually run and manage a business from a director's point of view. But five years on, um, an architect and the builder, a younger brother and an older brother, I decided there was only so many arguments that I could have and potentially lose. So having a chat to a friend who was um, leaving his business called Atelier Techne to head overseas, I joined up with his business partner. And then for the next four years, I ran a business called Techne Architects absolutely loved architecture. So for me, this is one of my biggest passions was getting back into architecture and running what became and has become a very successful architectural business. In the first two years, we took the business from one and a half staff members to over 20. We had a diversification of products ranging from single residences through to multi-res and a lot of commercial and a lot of hospitality. But it was something I really loved doing the architecture, but I really disliked being on the other side of the fence from the builder. And the amount of times I'd sit down with builders, knowing exactly what process I'd gone through to get to a price, knowing exactly what the price should be, and then having the arguments over, well, how did you arrive at this type of figure, really, really annoyed me. So after two or three years working with Techne, I started up a second business whilst at Techne called Archiblocks because this is where my passion really has been and was. You know, I had the opportunity of not only being an architect, but also being a builder at the same time. I really enjoyed the opportunity of taking ownership of a project from the initial contact with client through the handing over the keys and completion. So it was a really good way from an architectural experience of looking into a business and finding a way that we could manage and be part of the whole client journey. We looked at prefabrication as being a methodology that would work really well for us. Being an architect, being exposed to the volume housing and the vanilla nature of the housing market, we really believed that we could make a difference in creating a product that we could take to market and sell to clients. And in a way that we could do that was through prefabrication. Really early on in Australia, prefabrication became quite a staple back in the gold rush eras of the 1850s. But right through to modern days, prefabrication has been used in Australia but on a really small percentage. And so when you, we looked overseas at other countries and the take-up of prefabrication, Australia had a really, really low percentage to take. One of our biggest barriers is prefabrication was the perception of the prefabricated buildings and the general public. A lot of the clients had to take a lot of convincing as to why they should buy an architecturally designed prefabricated house when the general market population looked at the Donner type of um, scenario that was prevalent throughout the mining industry. So we thought, well, that's a really good way of then creating a good product that people would take some traction to and then create really good stories. And I think this is something that we've done really well at Archie Blocks is create stories around our products that we've delivered. 
these stories and building up was a way of then building our brand. And so what we've looked at as a business, well, what are other stories we can use in our business to help build our brand? Being a kid growing up in Melbourne, we used to do lots of camping. And one of the things as a kid growing up in Melbourne I've really loved is the bush. One thing I've always loved about the bush is the First Nation people's relationship with that bush. So one of the things we've done recently is setting up our reconciliation action plan which to me is a no-brainer for any Australian business that you can really then start giving back to the First Nation people. From Archie Blocks' perspective, it starts giving us really good insights into the different nations around Victoria and New South Wales so that when we give stories to our clients, we can pass on the stories from the First Nation people and start really layering up information for clients and their knowledge and their appreciation of the land that they then become caretakers on. As an architect, sustainability, looking at different schemes, like carbon neutral schemes that we can then start putting back into the environment again is a really good story that we have in the business and then also different associations that you become members on for example I currently sit on the prefab Oz board director so it's a national organization I also sit on part of the father bob foundation and so again these are just really good avenues that we use as a business to start promoting the different ideologies we have and the beliefs that we have so what these things give us is good pr and what these PR gives us is good access to clients. As a business, we've really thought about the stories that we do, we've really thought about the products that we've developed, we've really thought about the organisations that we're um, associated with. And what that leads to is lots of then opportunities to then promote and cross-promote and really use Archibox as a social media platform to then build our client base. So as a business who sells houses and sells commercial buildings, we would generate 80% of our leads come through. It's something that I'm really proud of at the moment. Uh, we're the most followed architectural business in Australia on Instagram and social media pages. And it's something that we do really push heavily. And that gets me to my wife, who works with me and runs all of our social media. And so collaboratively, we do really run Archiblocks. The other thing we use as part of building our brand is the testimonial page with clients. We've made lots of mistakes as a business along our journey. And if it's something that we don't learn about every time, then it's something when we can't grow as a business. But one thing that we really appreciate and we really gain a lot of traction for future clients is through our testimonials and the way that we can then promote and cross-promote through our brands. Diversification is something we are massive fans of at Archiblocks as well. I really like diversification in what we do, not only product offerings but also in innovation because it keeps a lot of interest in staff and fellow colleagues within the business. And it's also making us always think about better ways of doing it. But we've had calamities along the way, I think, as every business has had. And again, looking at the calamities and looking at the opportunities to get better is one of those big things. We had a manufacturing plant down in Wonthaggy in Gippsland up until 2016. As the complexity of the projects increased, also the skill level within the business increased. In 2016, I had an opportunity of taking over some land, a facility down in Laverton, and I looked at that as an opportunity, being a Melbourne-based business, uh, head offices in Melbourne, that I could take my manufacturing facility from Wonthaggy and bring it down to Melbourne. It was proved to be an extraordinarily difficult time in the business because all of my manufacturing side of the business, out of 60 people, I had one person follow the business. And so we had to retool throughout the whole business. And at the same time, a project became more complex. The geography of the landing of these projects became more complex. So it became, it was an extraordinarily difficult 18 months, 16 months. And to add to those calamities, we also then entered into a commercial market. 
So this is our first large commercial project we did. It was part of the level crossing removal. So this was the signal control centre that we did for Lend, Lease and CPD, so two tier one contractors. We went in a little bit naively onto this project. We did in such a way that we didn't realise we'd signed up to a project that if it wasn't delivered on the day of final completion that we were exposed to $6 million a day in, in third party damages. So a business like ours, or any business, that's just an extraordinary process to go through. During the process of manufacturing, one of our contractors turned to us and said, the concrete floor that we had built for these 25 tonne buildings that were six, five and a half metres high by five and a half metres wide by 18 metres long, the deflection through the building would be more than the 25 mils allowed through the manufacturer's warranties on the concrete flooring. In fact, the spaghetti-like structure that we'd be putting these buildings onto had no structural integrity at all. So we had to go through this mad rush of trying to redesign through transport-specific engineers this whole steel cage that we had to then find the fabricators doing specific time frame who ended up being this mob down in Launceston and the rigmarole about bringing this thing back up on ferries, back into Melbourne, then to complete the project in the facility yard at Laverton to take out the Daningong, to then install on time and complete with all of these things that lined up was one of the most stressful times I've ever had as a business owner, but also as one of the most rewarding. So in about two months into this process, I realised we need a hand. And so I basically spoke to one of the commercial manager directors at Lend Lease, basically went out hand in hand, and gave them four demands that I needed. And if I didn't reach these four things, they wouldn't have a railway infrastructure project that was worth $1.7 billion that would not come online because we were a $4 million part of that process. And so really, thankfully, they saw the dilemma that we were in. They took our payment terms from 45 days, end of month, down to 15 days. They gave us all this assistance that we needed. And we basically left the project, completed it on time, we didn't lose any money, and it was such an amazing effort from a business like Archiblocks who basically worked in domestic prefabrication to deliver a basic 600 square metre computer. So my lessons there is be really well aware of what you're trying to do and don't chase dollars. But we can't achieve all these things without the right structure and the right team behind us. I'm a massive fan of learning, and I think any business owner, you have to be aware of learning. And we're only as good as the staff that we have on the ground. And part of our colleagues and part of what we work with and the community that we create is all about who are the type of person we work with. And part of that is the creation of the values that we all work towards. Part of the colleagues we have, the clients we work through and the suppliers that we work alongside, Archiblox has had some amazing stories. As an architect, I'm probably really proud of one of the awards we got given in 2016 was voted the third most innovative architectural firm by Fast Company over in the States. As a builder, I'm most proud of the construction award that we won earlier this year for the, the signal control centre that we built for the city of to Downing Online. And I like to think that just those two awards there alone have really signified at Archiblocks that we've really managed to find relevance in both the architectural field and the construction field. Thank you. Despite Bill's phenomenal success, he's had calamities along the way and opportunities to get better as well. That's comforting to know. Thanks Bill and thank you to you Emma as well. Next time on Master Series, that moment my startup took off. 
After leaving the nine to five, the dream for our startup is for the website to be inundated, the phone to ring off the hook, and our business to hum like a well-oiled machine. How to make that happen is the challenge. We'll have two entrepreneurs to put that into context for us next time. Until then, I'm Sarah Shenelmish from Written and Recorded, and for We Teach Me, this is the Masters Series.